Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Norman Wolf on the line. Norman, how are you? I'm doing really good. It's early morning in my time, but I'm glad to be on your show. I'm glad to finally have you on here. I know we've been chatting for quite a long time, so good to have you on the show. So you wrote a book a while back called Living Organization, and um, it's one of those timeless books. So you know, share with the audience a little bit about you and, and you know, the story behind this book. Be happy to, uh, Michael. Yes, I wrote the book back in 2011, which every time I say that, it seems like, wow, so many years ago. Uh, I wrote the book because of, of two reasons. One is the success rate of, of organizations and, and people individually uh, achieving their goals, their, their stated objectives, their strategic initiatives, whatever you want to call it, is, is pretty poor. The statistics say that they, they succeed at a or they fail at a rate of 70%. So only less than 30% of those. And I said individuals because um, I was reading statistics recently that says people's New Year's resolutions success rate is less than 20%. So they're failing about 80%. So so I began to realize there's something about the way we go about life uh, in, in, in businesses, especially that is we're missing something. And the second reason I wrote the book is after being uh, in business for well over 40 years now, there's almost like a, a, um, I hate to use the word pandemic these days, but there's almost a a pandemic of sadness. People just aren't engaged. They, you know, the the engagement factor, again, 23% of people are engaged in what they do. Not a very high success rate. And so, you know, I, I, after working with so many companies, I, I began to realize, why, why is that? And, and what can we do about it? And the solution I realized is that we have kind of as a society overall, a way of looking at life through a lens of, you might call it Newtonian physics. It's, it's a very mechanical approach to life. And it leaves off some, uh, it leaves out all the stuff around relationships and and meaning and purpose and belief systems and assumptions. It just says, focus on what you want to do and just do it and boom, that's it. And, you know, that just isn't good enough. So it, I wrote the book to explain how all that works and, and, and how businesses themselves really are living entities. You know, they're, they're like people. They, they operate like people. Um, you look at a department, you know, any leader who, who really steps back and looks at, their various departments, they, they almost can sense um, that, the, the, that the departments are, uh, have personalities. Like my sales department is going to have a fundamentally different personality than, than my accounting department. Right? And it's just like people. They have different proclivities, different personalities, different belief systems. And, and we think the only way to get them aligned and working together is through a set of goals, you know, give us... And, and they ignore this whole relationship piece and what I call context piece, the, the underlying belief systems, the, the sense of identity of who we are as an individual 
also applies to the sense of identity of who we are as a collective of individuals. And we ignore all of that stuff. So I wrote a book to explain how all that happens. Being a scientist and engineer by training, I have a very logical <laughs> approach to things. So I created a um, sort of a engineering formula for how it all plays together. Uh, and that's really what I wrote about in the book. Like I said before, it's a timeless book. And you know, when you said about how just people aren't engaged, and I know Monster.com just released a study uh, that right now close to seventy percent of people are, you know, saying that they're they're really stressed or burned out about yep. work. Yep. And so you take that percentage of you know seven out of ten people are burned out. There's a percentage of those people that would be normally engaged and willing yes. to go the extra mile to do whatever they can because they want things to be better, not only for themselves, but for their organization. Yeah. But if they're too tired and too fatigued, they're not even engaged anymore. So it has such a huge effect on the strength of an organization. And during times like a pandemic or any type of economic downturn, yep. if your organization isn't acting at its best, you're vulnerable and you might end up seeing a four lease sign in your office space because you won't be there anymore. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's what we're seeing. You know, one of the, one of the interesting, um, I'll say byproducts of the pandemic is I'm, as I talk to leaders around the world, they're beginning to realize that, well, here's the way I say it. We used to come to work for the purpose of getting work done, right? We went to the office because that's where you, you did things. And the byproduct of that is uh, we build social connections. We don't pay attention to that. It just sort of happened uh, unconsciously or, or as a byproduct. I was speaking with the CEO the other day, and, and he said, you know, he's, he's closed his office space when the pandemic happened and he sent everybody home. And I asked him if he was going to go back as things are opening up. And he said, no, we don't need to meet together to get the work done anymore. But what we are going to do is create places for our people to gather for social connection. And I thought that was really interesting that the CEO now is recognizing that the social connection, what we call in our model, the relationship field of energy, is really important to getting the work done. And it's not a byproduct anymore. It's now become a reason to gather uh, because we can do the work on our own, right? So the pandemic is sort of, in, in many ways, moving the world to my way of thinking uh, un un unconsciously, so to speak. But you know, it's, it's paying attention. Why, why do people feel burnt out? Because all they, all they do and think about is how much we have to do, 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 do. You know, there's a saying that we're not human doings, we're human beings. <laughs> but we don't pay attention to the being side of things. We pay attention to the doing side of things. And, and that's really endemic in, in organizations. Everything is about what are you doing. It, another interesting fact that I just recently ran into um, I was talking to two different CEOs, one in New Zealand and a manager here in the States. And the, new, the, the person in New Zealand, the CEO in New Zealand, was talking about how, how they're, they're learning to manage differently, how they recognize they don't have to have 
the people there all the time, that the pe- they can trust the people, they can let the people get the work done. And right? the manager in the States was telling me how burned out he is because he's in so many meetings. And I asked him, what are the meetings for? He says, oh, people just want to check up on what we're doing. So we're spending so much time telling people what we're doing. <laughs> and, and so it, it's sort of like, there's two ways people are addressing this, this shift in, in the way business operates. On one hand, they're trying to apply the old command control, stay on top of, manage every last detail, which is what's burning people out. That's, and they're trying to do that online, which is complicating it. And the other way they're saying, wait a minute, I got talented people. They know what they're doing. Let me give them some space. Let's talk about how, what's really important that they accomplish. Let's make sure they're relating with each other well and collaborating. And then just let them go do it. Let them figure it out. Those people aren't being burned out. They're finding a new sense of freedom. They're finding a new sense of expression. The other people feel like they're being driven more and then they're burning out. Because the, um, the, the command and control is so dominant in the way leaders think, uh, they're actually causing more damage now than, than they ever have. And, and that's why people are experiencing what you said. Yeah, and it's, and it's been happening even before the pandemic, but it's been amplified now because when people go to work, you know, you know, they commute. You know, the commute time is either to you know, you know, strengthen up for what the day is going to throw at you or you know, scream at the radio on the drive home, <laughs> whatever the case may be. Well, now... Many people over the last few months have lost that opportunity, so they've just work and home is the same place. And then yep. to- toss in that many of them are full time school teachers right now, and their spouses are home, and their dogs are looking at them. Why are you still here? You know all of these things that are going on, and it's it's really creating a lot of havoc. And when you have management that won't let their talent use their talent. It, it, it's really restrictive. So it's going to be interesting to see as this plays out over the next few months and years, what organizations will need to have a really strong internal shift like the, the CEO that you had mentioned saying, you know, we're going to create a, a gathering place right. for people to come together and, and gather. And I think that's, that's, that's one bold and two, it's an amazing idea and it's actually a good way to utilize a reinvention of how commercial real estate is going to be used. Oh my God. Yes. So you're going to start seeing more, you know, shared workplaces, but they'll look a little different than what we've seen over the last few years. I I think there's going to be some really creative opportunities for organizations to, to gather and not so much work because they're doing the work at home, but they come together and you say, okay, let's, let's collaborate about some things and brainstorm and, Hey, what are you seeing? What, what's working for you? And you know, what keyboard are you using at home? And you know, if the organization's not providing that equipment, which they should, but I understand budgets and all of that. But it, at the end of the day, it's like, what's working for you, you know, and, yeah. and share those insights and, and, and just gather yeah. to see people. You know, they, they used to, well, two points I want to make. One is, to your point about gathering, uh, there was always a recognition that more work got done over the water cooler or in the coffee shop or the break room than they did in the other place, right? Um, because in those moments, people were connecting, sharing, brainstorming, you know, allowing the creative energies, the creative juices to flow. 
when you focused on process and what we do, excuse me, and, and how you do it, there's no creativity. You're just mechanistic automatons, right? Well, now, and, 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 the, and then we've had this whole issue about work-life balance. And uh, we've been talking about that for a decade, maybe more. And, and now we're, we're finding <coughs> we have an opportunity to allow people to find their own balance. And I always felt that work-life balance was a really silly thing, like work is separate from life. How, 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 how do you do that? You know, um, Work is, I mean, in the old way, work was work, and you, know, you left your personal life outside of work. That was <coughs> one of the things that I was told in my young career. My first supervisor said those words to me. You know, when you come to work, you leave your life, you leave your personal life at the door. You come in, you do your work. It's sort of like, okay, I, I'm a living human being with a whole life, and then I come to work and I shut all that down and I stop thinking and I just become an automaton, a cog in the wheel. And that's what we've been doing. Well, you know, I've been living, I've been working at home for decades now. Uh, this whole online Zoom thing, I've been doing that for since Skype days. And I've found how to, you know, I, I work in the office. I have an office, so I have a separation between my office space and, and my and my living space. But, you know, I'll come up, work an hour or two, go downstairs, take a walk, come back upstairs, work for a couple more hours. I, I find that balance. Some days I work, you know, to, to 7, 8 at night, and other days I don't work at 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I found that balance in my life. Well, why don't we let people do that to find that balance? Right? And they'll get the work done. You know, people people are committed to being successful. They'll get the work done. Um, Absolutely. So I think, like you said, this whole pandemic forcing people to go home, yeah, it's going to confuse a lot of people, uh, but it's also going to help a lot of people. One, one employee told the CEO I was talking to, when they were talking about, should we come back? What should we do? The employee said to the CEO, you know, you pay me for idle time. And the CEO said, what do you mean? He says, yeah, I'll get my work done at three o'clock, but I'm supposed to be here from eight to five. So I sit around and do nothing for two hours, and you pay me. <laughs> it's like, why should I waste? You know, you're paying me for idle time, and, and I think that's a really good way to to understand what we've been doing for years. So I think the pandemic is going to give us a lot of opportunities to rethink a lot of things. Yeah, and I agree. And I in that idle time, a lot of people, you know, have been in that situation for a long time. You know, I, I like sharing this story from time to time where. Uh, my dad worked for the auto sector and he worked in assembly line um, and there was a janitor there and you know he, his shift was you know from 5 a.m. or 5:30 till i think 2:30 you know 5:30 a.m. to 2:30 in the afternoon now of course by this point you know with automation and all the things going on and robots and things like that the assembly line is really clean it's not like henry ford's first version right. where oil and dust and you know remnant you know whatever you know, all kinds of chemicals and everything else asbestos probably who knows but now i mean it, you could go in there it's almost surgical room clean so you have a janitor and you know he's going around and he will you know go around the line and, and sweep a little bit here and there and all that stuff but the story my dad loved to share was this janitor had to buy new, because he wore overalls to work, he had to buy new overalls every six months. 
Now everyone would think, well, yeah, you know, your janitor, you're getting dirty and probably need to replace them. That wasn't the case. This janitor was sitting down and he had kind of a nervous leg movement thing. So his legs were rubbing against the back of the chair and he wore the back of the jeans on the leg out. So he would have to buy new jeans every six months because that's what he did for pretty much seven hours a day was sitting down just sitting there drinking coffee rubbing his legs and next thing you know it's like yeah oh wow there's holes in the back of my legs and you know i I, but that organization's been doing that but you got to have a janitor there because there could be a situation where there needs to be a cleanup and you have somebody there in a way it's a lot like firefighters in a certain extent where you have Firefighters, you want them there because if something happens, you want them ready to go. But for the most part, thankfully, in most areas, they're sitting around the firehouse quite a bit because, thankfully, there isn't any fires or emergencies that they have to go to. But you want them there. It's it's a similar kind of situation where having somebody, I'm going to have you here eight hours, and I want you to get eight hours worth of productivity. Now, you don't time it. Say, Here's the tasks. Here's the goals that we need to accomplish. Here's your roles. Do them. If you get it done in three and a half hours, congratulations. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. and then that yeah. extra time, the employee, quite frankly, if if they're productive and and you know forward thinking, that idle time can be used for creative thoughts of hey, what could we do better on this product? Or maybe if we launch this product, all of a sudden your business is flourishing because your employees have the time and the space to daydream and whiteboard things and do all the things that they can do. Yeah, one of the things you point to um, that's really shifting and we're seeing a big movement towards what's called self-management is the separation of roles that have to be done, like cleaning the floor when it has to, with a person's job. So here's a janitor. He had one or two roles, clean, clean the factory floor when it needed it, and most of the times it didn't. Well, if you separate, but that's all he was hired to do was clean. But what if he had other capabilities and he can do other things? So he had a role. One of his roles was to clean the factory floor when needed, but he might have other roles that he was capable of doing that you could also fill in, right? So by separating, uh, by looking at what are the roles people that, that the organization needs and who can fill those roles independent of job titles and positions and all the things we do in a, in a hierarchical structure, uh, you'll find people are moving in and out of roles all the time. I mean, I move in and out of roles. I have a role as a father. I have a role as a husband, I have a role as a CEO of a company, I have a role as a trainer within the company. I have, I have multiple roles. So it's the roles we do or the responsibilities may be another way to look at it. The, the responsibilities to achieve certain tasks or certain roles or accomplishments, that's what's important. Not, you know, are you a janitor? If you're a janitor, you can't do this. You know, it's like in the movie industry, if you're a you know, run the, the the sound boom, you don't pick up the electrical wires because that's done by somebody else. You know, uh, you know it, it, it's so mechanistically oriented and, and we lose so much productivity and so much talent when we, when we organize so structuredly. I, I agree. And I think it's an opportunity where you figure out what the strengths of those individuals, because I'm sure that janitor had other he had skills. other capabilities. And and I you know I I put myself in that role for a second, thinking there's no way that I could sit for that long 
right. I just, I, it wouldn't be good for me. I'd be stiff at the end of the day and I it just wouldn't want to do that. I'd want to do something else. And I'd be asking, okay, what, what else can I do here? You know, maybe it, it's inventory it, or who knows what, who knows what, or, or just, have him educate himself on some new talent, new skill. I mean, if he's going to sit there, shake his legs against the bottom of the chair because he's got a nervous tick or something. I mean, use that energy for something, right? I mean, so, so give him a set of books and let him learn a language. I mean, let him learn, you know, how to run a machine, let him learn something rather than just sit there idle. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we have so many structural problems in the way we organize and, uh, and, and that's really what the work of, of the living organization and quantum leaders, our, our consulting company, is, is about finding ways to help organizations achieve better results, bottom line. I mean, that's what we're interested in. Go from a 70% failure rate to a, a 30% failure rate and a 70% success rate. That's, that's really what we're trying to accomplish. And, and, and what we find is you just can't get there with this, what I call the old paradigm thinking, thinking of an organization as a machine that's focused on optimizing uh, efficiency and, and the flow of activity. We, we got to recognize that organizations are, are living people and, and they're made up of living people. And, and when you begin to apply the principles we use, uh, I'll give you an example. I was talking to um, an executive of one company, he's a software company, he's responsible for the product development. And he's organized into uh, what he calls pods, you know, self, self-managing teams. And he, and he says, once I did that, all of a sudden the teams are sort of operating in silos. And I said, and he's, he wanted to know how to, how to get them to work together. And, and I simply said, how would you get a team of um, ball players, individual, let's say you've got a basketball team. How would you get them to play together? You know, you got a prima donna, you got this one, and they've all got their own specialties. And how would you get them to play together? And you see, what I was doing by that is just having them think not as, you know, four teams of 10 people and 40 people, and how do I get all 40 people? I said, you just really only have uh, four people. And, and, and each person has a personality. Each, each pod has a personality. So why don't you just figure out the personalities and how do you get those personalities to collaborate more? Well, just that shift in the way he was thinking about the challenge from a mechanistic one where we have to set the goals and everybody buys into the goals and all of that. Talk about the relationships between the collective personalities and all of a sudden it changes the way you approach the problem. Yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity. And especially now as organizations are looking at this, you know, the time frame where an organization should take this opportunity to look at the organizations and see, okay, what, what do we want to accomplish? You know, what's our goal? What's our meaning? And what are some different ways that we could accomplish it to just be a better organization, not only for our employees, but for our customers as well? And, and, and look at things a different way. I mean, I love the sports analogy on that because, yeah, you can have an all-star and, and I'll, I'll use the example, you know, the Yankees before they won all the World Series in the 90s, if you remember, I mean, their team was, you know, basically one through nine were all-stars. And they, you know, George was spending, you know, a bazillion dollars on, on getting everybody there, and they couldn't cash it in. 
Right. And all of a sudden, you know, they bring in Joe Torrey. They they get really, really fortunate with some draft picks. And they start picking up some peace players, you know, like a Scott Brocious and a Paul O'Neill <laughs> in the world. And, and you add those to the mix of your all-star players. And the next thing you know, they're, they're bringing more trophies in, into the stadium because they figured out the mix of, okay, what do we have? We got to get everybody to work together. And it was... That's it. that's how it worked. You know, you can load up on all talent and not accomplish anything, or you get all talent that are talented in their own ways and mesh those together for the greater good. And when you do that, your organization, I don't want to call it recession proof or pandemic proof, but you're going to withstand the, the, the rising tide a lot better than organizations that are using, you know, not to use another Henry Ford analogy, but using the old assembly line way of, of doing work. It just, it's, things have changed and we, we're seeing it and the organizations that are thriving, look at them. The ingredients are all there. They, they approach business differently than, than they used to. Yeah. You know, your, your sports analogy reminds me of a number of, and I, I'm not a big sports fan, so I can't name the teams, but I remember watching what you might call a team filled with average players, and there's been a couple of recent ones, who have gone on to win the national championships. Right? There's no prima donnas on there. There's no superstars. There's just a bunch of average players. And why they've won is because they come together as a team. They come together as a, as more, actually more than a team. They come together almost as a family, almost as a single unit where where they can read each other and play with each other. And, and it's not who's the best and, and, and all of that, right? It's just we're together. And those teams almost invariably, as you point out, they, they're, they, they almost can't lose, right? They're, in business, you'd say they're recession-proof, they're, they're competitive-proof because they can respond, they can t- turn quickly and pivot as a collective unit. You know, when I do workshops, one of the things I ask people to do is, List the attributes of a team, and I invite your audience to do this right now. List, list all the attributes of the team and what makes a successful team. And if you were going to organize a successful team, what would you do? And then I have them, and I'll let your audience take a moment to think about that. And then I have them shift their thinking, and I ask the question, so if you wanted to build a really effective community, what would you do? And all of a sudden, people's little light bulbs go on. And, and then I say to them, you know, what you have in those two situations is a group of people who come together to achieve some goal collectively. But building a team, a business team, as we would call it, usually has a, a, a very activity-based way of thinking. You know, we've got these goals, and this is what we're supposed to do, and here's who's going to do what, and how they're going to do it, and, and, and let's go. You're building a community. There's another sort of quality to that, but there's still just a group of people who come together for a common purpose to accomplish something. But in the community, I get responses like people feel safer. They feel supported. They feel uh, important. They have their role. They know what they're going to do. They help others. They feel others helping them. It's less mechanic and more relationship-oriented. And yet, 
if you back off and just look at what you have, you have two groups of you have a group of people come in each situation who want to accomplish something together. Communities accomplish more than teams because of all the things we talk about. People feel better in a community than in a team. Now, I'm using the word team in a very specific sense here because we just talked about sports teams or or teams in the military. Um, you know, some of the they learn in in the military because it's life and death situation. They learn to support each other, to have each other's back. Right, that's more important than you know whether you're the best at this or that or anything else. It's that it's the relationship piece that is often forgotten. And, and that's what we call the context, the sense of why we're here, what's important to us, what do we believe is true and right, and, and, and how are we going to make decisions. So in the old paradigm, we're dealing mostly with activity, getting things organized and running efficiency. In the new paradigm, we have the activity because that never goes away, but we also have the relationship and the context as equally as important. Right. Just like we talked at the beginning of the show, the CEOs who are recognizing it's not just what the people are doing, but the nature of how they interact with each other and the quality of their relationships. So we're going to have gathering places. We don't need to have workplaces. They can do the work anywhere. We're going to have places for them to connect and build that sense of community, build that sense of connection, have a common sense of purpose and, and why we're here, have a common sense of how we relate to each other and what's what we believe as as a group. That's where the shift is happening. And that's that's what the living organization, um, the, the, the book and the framework and the trainings we do at Quantum Leaders, uh, that's really what it's all about. Helping people cross that shift, cross that uh, we call it being a bridge to the to the new way of working. Well, it's amazing. It's a, definitely a book that everybody should pick up because it, it'll make their organization so much better if they follow it. So, Absolutely. Norman, loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work that you're doing? Uh, our, our website is uh, quantumleaders.com. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I've actually have, uh, for your audience, uh, if they go to quantumleaders.com forward slash podcast, they can get download the, the first three chapters of the book for free. So that's a little gift for your audience, quantumleaders.com forward slash podcast. Uh, and they can also, you know, contact me through our contact page on, on the website. And like I said, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for Norman Wolf, Quantum Leaders, and you'll find me. That's perfect. And I'll have all that in the show notes. So Norman, great to chat with you again. Appreciate you and this amazing work you're doing. Thank you, Michael. Nice to be here, and thank you for having me on your show. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.